Hello, welcome back to the third Knees Up Lover Brown West Ham podcast episode of the season. And it's uh, it's not exactly all rosy, is it, where we are right now? Um, joining me from Analytics United, as ever, are Jack Elderton and Callum Goodall. Hello, gents. Hey, Chris. Hello. Today, we will be covering <laughs> misery, um, recent issues, build-up and dysfunction, use of new players and some solutions on the pitch, and possibly, if you're that way inclined, in the dugout too. Um, we'll crack right on because there's no real jokes and joy to make out of West Ham at the moment, even though we've been winning some games in Europe. That doesn't even feel that good, the way we've been doing it. Um there's there's that clip that's been going around today, Jack. You shared it on your on your Twitter, and everyone else seems to be discussing it as well. Of the passing from the back, which feels like it lasts forever, going nowhere until we eventually just give the ball away out of, I presume, boredom. Um, and that feels kind of in, endemic of what's going on with West Ham at the moment, doesn't it? Yeah, well, it's something we've spoken about on this podcast several times before. Um, failures and build up is something that's underpinned this this Moyes era and a lot of what West Ham has been have been very good at in this period are countering and um, success from set pieces and without those things functioning in the way that we're used to them functioning trying to go through a transition to take more possessional control of football matches without necessarily the individual quality or the structure to back that up um, is proving to be a bit problematic because we've lost functionality in all of the ways in which we're strong and aren't very strong at the way we're trying to transition to playing football um, I think you can see how bad the build-up is right now. I mean, that clip has has, has gone right round Twitter today, which I didn't anticipate really, but um, it, it's a nice little snapshot of of what we've seen over the last two years, really, and now what we're seeing in more focus because of this transition, slight transition of, of styles. And I say slight because it hasn't really worked and we've often mm. been forced to revert to type. Um, I think you saw that reversion to type in some of the recent games. Aston Villa is a good example. Chelsea and Spurs, also very good examples where we didn't look to take quite so much control of, match, of a match through possession. We did try that a little bit against Everton. Um, but yeah, like you said, it doesn't really take us anywhere. A lot of the problems coming through the 4-2-3-1 shape, um, but also through just a lack of individual responsibility being taken on the ball and off the ball. So ball carriers needing to um, attract and release, which is a principle that um, someone, I, I, I feel really bad because I haven't, <laughs> um, haven't actually got that at in front of me, but it was a coach um, from, I think, the Nottingham Forest Academy who replied earlier and talked about the principle of attracting and releasing. And this is not something that we see a lot in England done very successfully. And it's something that's really missing in first and second phase um, at West Ham and also sometimes in the final third as well, where you want to attract players towards yourself to be able to free space for the player that you're passing to. Mm. Um, And and we don't really do that. There's a lot of kind of passing the ball onwards, moving the ball around, but, but kind of in a sort of hot potato fashion. I don't really want it. It's yours now. Can you do something with it? And then frustration shown ultimately when someone makes a mistake. Um, you know, Suchek has become the epicenter of this discussion because largely he's the player who then makes the mistake at the end of these sequences because he's ultimately the player with the least quality in, in this area. But really, you're looking at those other players who you know have a lot more quality and saying, well, can't we get a little bit more from you? Where's your yeah. movement off the ball? Where's your responsibility with the ball to do something rather than it ending up with Suchek having to receive on the turn and make something happen? You know, that there's something very wrong with your build-up if Thomas Suchek is the player that you're looking to to get you out of second phase. And that's interesting on that clip. And, it, and it's, it's worth saying for us that if this is something we have banged on, wait, you two have banged on about kind of for the last year since we started. And it was always, we kind of focused on different areas and different individuals. But you look at that clip, Undoubtedly, and whereas while Suchek might make the the main the kind of fundamental error, I guess at the end, there's a there was a long time there when no one else has done the good thing to make what they're doing work anyway, have they? So you can kind of it's going to fall on Suchek because that's the worst error, but actually the whole thing is an error constantly. Yeah, precisely that. Like we said, there's a, there's 
a real lack of individual and collective responsibility being taken for transitioning the ball forwards at the moment. And like you said, we've been talking about this for a very long time. It's been a key issue. Um, you know, Declan Rice is someone who has been a fantastic performer at West Ham for a very long period now. Um, but ultimately, throughout that time, he's been quite a weak progressive passer. Um, he's been someone that's offered a lot progressively in terms of his ball carrying ability, but not really through passing. And um, and we we really hoped when Kurt Zuma got moved across to the right of the defence that we'd see a little bit more from him in a progressive capacity, um, famed as well to some degree for his progressive carrying ability. Um, but his lack of movement at the moment, particularly off the ball, is is quite concerning. I think Zuma, someone I pick out for in that respect, and also Rice, really the two main culprits right now. Uh, of players that pass the ball onwards, but then stand still and watch what happens afterwards. Mm. Uh, and if you're going to give anyone any opportunity to um, to progress the ball, you need to provide options. Yeah. And you also need to provide release valves from pressure. Sometimes that is a backwards option. And um, And there are really good examples in the clip I shared today where Rice passes the ball, doesn't move, and doesn't prevent any, pre- provide any option to move the ball forwards. And then when Zuma passes to Suchek, just as the mistake is made, he stands and watches his pass rather than taking three steps to the right to allow a pass that gets us out of the pressure very easily. It doesn't move us forward, but it stops a mistake from being made. And neither of those things are being done. That's an interesting one, is it? Because it's not one that's going to be quantified by numbers You know, in a way. You're not going to have a expected movement stat. I don't know. It's, it's, it's not exactly. I mean, I don't know enough stats. You, you, by the time this goes out, it could be one. Um, but if you, it's it's something that is very weird. And actually, I, w- I want to bring him up again later in the pod. But something that I always felt Mark Noble generally was quite good at was passing and then moving to somewhere he could get the ball again. And it doesn't feel like there's a lot of that going on ever. You're right. It's very much, well, well you've got the ball now, so good luck, pal. Um, your problem. And how that... Yeah, well, I think we kind of miss um, Mark Noble's personality at the moment in terms of geeing people up and getting people to take this kind of responsibility mm. in and out of possession. Um, but then also, uh, not so much geeing people up, but also just generating an atmosphere in the dressing room that everyone is sort of working together towards a specific goal. Um, rather than the atmosphere that seems dominant at the moment when you watch West Ham on the pitch, and we can't speak to what the atmosphere is in the dressing room, but we can only we can only sort of analyse what we see, which is a lot of people blaming each other for the mistakes being made, arms going up, arms yeah, up. people turning away from mistakes when they happen. There's this kind of um, lack of support for each other right now. And I think that, yes, we miss Noble in terms of his personality, but you're right to bring it up in terms of what he offered technically on the pitch, maybe less so in recent years before he retired. But he was definitely someone that wanted to give and take the ball and get it back. And, and having that kind of presence in midfield where someone is happy to receive the ball at all times, actively wants to receive the ball and is always providing an option in possession is fundamentally important to any team and any team's ability to build up and progress play. And right now, in Thomas Suchek and Declan Rice, you've got two players who are just not offering that. 100%. And, and we, 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 we talk about, and I'll come back to Suchek in a second, we talk about individuals, and we have talked about individuals in the past. Now, of the one that it feels like the other name that gets brought up a lot in this conversation, and they are inextricably linked, would be Sufal, who... who I don't think you, I don't think even say those people who would call themselves particularly analytical fans would they would also say that they see a problem with his progressive play and and you you two have looked at his his play in depth more recently haven't you Yeah well I think Cal had trend data for this <laughs> uh, but i but i hear that he may have deleted it so um, no but Cal yeah. Sort of, uh, yeah point us in the direction <laughs> Yeah, I had a bit of a nightmare. I don't know what I was doing. I think I was tired by the end of it, and then I just must have closed the document and forgot to save it. But I can remember the general trends. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the most worrying ones were uh, for Sifal, mainly the massive uptick in high passes per 90 and the massive drop-off in um, dribble attempts and progressive carries per 90, as well as pass completion and short passes um, mm-hmm. per 90. If you do want to hear more about that and some comparisons to Ben Johnson, then I will put you in the direction of the Analytics United uh, pod, where we did talk about that in much, much, much more depth um, recently. But to summarise, I think the trend that matches up really with the eye test is that he seems to have lacked 
or just yeah completely lacking really um any comfortability in possession it's just whenever he's on the ball um whereas in previous seasons particularly in that season when he first arrived and got seven assists for us um he looked so confident on the ball he was so happy to knock the ball past his man and carry us all the way into the final third um and that just doesn't seem to be an element of his game anymore instead what happens is that when he's put under pressure rather than having the confidence to beat his man he instead just kicks it long uh and more often than not uh, if Antonio can't get on the end of it then obviously possession just goes back to the opposition and then we're we're back trying to press and win the ball back which is something we've also not been very good at but we'll talk talk about in more detail later but um I thought it was quite interesting really I, I looked this week at something called bivariate zones of control which sounds incredibly nerdy um, but it's basically you get these graphic overlays where it compares two variables. Um, the first ranks the team's touches per zone um, as a percentage of their total touches. Uh, so it's divided into 14 or 18 zones. Uh, and the second is then a ranking of opposition touches per zone as a percentage of total touches. And then that shows you sort of who has the most control in each area of the pitch. Okay. Um, so a zone is considered to have high total control if you're in the, above the 55th percentile and low control if you're below the 45th. And looking at the graphic, um, I'll see if we can put it up on Twitter somewhere. I'm sure I can pull it. But um, it was really interesting to me to see that uh, the zone of lowest control is right back um, uh, and then pretty much all the way along the right half space from just before central midfield until the final third, which is basically saying that the weakest areas of our pitch that we haven't been able to control so far this season are where Sufal and Suchak have played, um, which I thought was interesting just to bring up because it matches the eye test that everyone's been saying, yeah. but um, is also borne out in the data and, and, and points to the areas that we clearly need to improve in if we're going to get better. On the flip side, the areas in which we have most control are left back and left wing, which I think is unsurprising because Cresswell has been largely for a long time our most progressive player and then Ben Rama is probably one of few players who we can say has had a good season so far in terms of his impact so I thought the comparison was was worth bringing up and and proved all the points that I think we've all had in our heads uh, particularly the last couple of weeks. It's interesting as well because we, we again we'll talk about the um, we've talked about new players coming in obviously again we've 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 picked ourselves up to some extent talking about where we've looked in the past at what these things need to do but if you look at say Tilo Kera or however it may you may correctly <laughs> pronounce it however you may connect <laughs> oh dear I've broken I've broken if you look at Tilo what is his last name? Kara. go Cara. on you got it right I'm pretty sure you got it right oh well, if we look at Tilo Kera, who is a good passer of the ball and was the kind of signing that you would make if your right side or left side of defence, you know, if your defence was struggling to pass out. He's come in, he's impressed quite a few people. I mean, the, I think it's the pass to four nows in the Tottenham game, the one that seems to, that pierces my memory of the one that most people have noticed. But he it hasn't made a massive difference looking at things, even though he's clearly a better passer in the short spaces than Craig Dawson. Yeah, I think it's it's care is an interesting one because in some ways uh, I think he he may have offered a little bit more from from the right hand side, uh, which uh, it's just a bit of a a worry in terms of the short term because we've wanted Zuma to be able to move to the right hand side Ooh. and now we see Kara from from the left and I'm not necessarily I mean certainly not in the Everton game wasn't particularly impressed with him progressively, um, partly that is because in the Everton. Everton game, it was more obvious that he needed to carry at times to be able to engage players from the mid-block to create mm. options ahead of him. Sometimes it's not just about your progressive passing ability. Um, but also, Kara has been a bit of a strange one because he's um, so variable within games. There are moments where he can be uh, really outstanding and provide really strong defensive contributions and also strong progressive contributions. But there have also been moments within games where you just sort of look at him and think, oh, what's going on there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, Why have you made that decision? They're, they're, they're- there's times where you think you think, oh, that's that's a decision that Issa Diop would have made. Yes, slightly, <laughs> but I, I, I do think obviously he's 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 a much better player mm. than Issa. But he's got that that kind of um... got that dog in him. Yeah, maybe. I don't even maybe. know what that means. <laughs> Maybe if that's what, if we're transposing a meaning of a set, a, a meaning, I saying that means something completely different to a completely different scenario, and just hoping that it that, that it means the right thing, then yeah, I am we'd, old. We'd be spot on, but um, no, he's got the same kind of um, deficiency 
in terms of the reliability of his decision making i think and um and that that can be a problem at times and it has been a problem recently because if you're not scoring goals and you've got a player that's got a mistake in him and it is going to mean you're going to concede one you know every three games or every two games um you know it's a bit of a problem right now If, if you're going to play with a lack of control of football matches and and play for a few high quality opportun- op- uh, opportunities with um, with the hope that you're going to be able to defend very consistently and keep the mm. score down, um, you have to do just that. You have to be keeping clean sheets every week to 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 be able to ensure that you're going to be getting positive results on a regular basis. And we're just not doing that right now. That's, that leads me in, and we will go, we'll go back to the um, those kind of fine margins. Um, we were, we were going to talk about the poor usage of new players. Uh, actually, what, what I said was use of new players, and I've, I've kind of made it obvious. It's going to be how poorly they've been used. Um, and that's not just in startings as well. That's kind of in, say, you mentioned pre-pod, Jack. Skamaka comes on, and obviously Skamaka has a different player to Antonio, has different strengths, different weaknesses, and nothing's changed. So we're obviously not really... Cons- it doesn't look like, anyway, that we're considering those players and what we need for them and what they can do. Yeah, I think it was a particularly weird thing in the Everton game that Skamaka came on, but Suchek stayed on the pitch at the same time. It was just a strange kind of, at that point, if you want to get the most out of Skamaka, then you want to take a little bit more possessional control. We were unable to do that with Suchek on the pitch. So it's a bit of a weird thing to to, to leave him on the pitch, but bring Skamaka on. Um, also with Pekatar coming off at the, at the time, it, I just think there's a little bit of confusion about what, um, these new players can offer. Pakatar's played at number 10 quite a lot. He's played at 10 in a, in a back three system in, in Europe, which has led to him uh, often drifting out wide a fair bit because we're playing split strikers in that system. And then when one of those strikers goes central, someone has to make up the width. And that is often the number 10. And that's forcing him very wide, which I don't think is his you know, best area uh, or certainly an area where he can influence the game most positively. And then we see him playing as a 10 against Everton where he's receiving back to goal a lot. I'm having to play very quickly on the turn and actually he hasn't necessarily got the speed of thought um, or physical speed to to burst yeah. away in those situations to to create opportunities. Um, so it seems to be a bit of a confu- bit of confusion about you know what his best role is, uh, which is quite concerning. And then also with Skamaka, you know, talking of that split striker system in Europe, why you would do that in the way that we've been doing it anyway with Skamaka, where he has certainly in the Silkeborg game continually ended up on the left wing with Corne playing through the middle. I just don't know. I think, you know, obviously on turnover, you can see where you want him right in the middle of the goal, receiving the ball, turning and shooting. That's where he's brilliant. I mean, he made a quite an advert for that skill uh, in the game, didn't he, Cal, when he turned and slapped in a ball, like you said, he probably would actually. Yeah, I dare say we predicted (laughs) (laughs) it. I mean, mean, you've kind of got a proper central striker there and it, it almost... It's almost like Moises has forgotten what Stryker's done because he's got so used to what Antonio does. But Skamaka mm. isn't Antonio. He's just not Antonio. I mean, literally, but also in the metaphorical sense of how we're talking as well. It's for the clarification. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. I was slightly worried. You know, it's been a hard, it's um, been a hard weekend. Yeah, no, that's it. It's, you can't ask them to do the same roles, really. I think we said that when we signed him. He's come from a team that play an entirely different style of football. And I think the reason we were excited about his arrival was that his arrival alongside the likes of Aguerd, Kara later on in the window, was all pointing towards a transition towards this more possession, comfortable side mm. in which the likes of Skamaka, Paqueta, Kara, Aguerd will all thrive because they're all first and foremost progressive players. That's what they've earned their reputations as. But as things stand, I think the issue is that we haven't successfully transitioned into that side yet. And mm. I think we've seen ourselves uh, experiment to a degree to try and find the right system um and in other games revert back to what we know in which is less pressing and a lower block and that is not a system that's going to suit Skamaka because in our current situation we need to be able to get the ball to Skamaka's feet he is mm. six foot five but he prefers to receive it either to his chest or into his feet to flick it round and with the team behind him at the minute, with Suchek and Sufal playing in the form that they're in, us not getting the best out of Paqueta yet, I don't think he is going to thrive until we are able to start to get the ball into his yeah. feet. And I think to expect anything else from him would be unfair because we've not bought him to play 
Antonio's role, but so to ask him to do it and expect him to start scoring. I mean, he's done well when he's come on. I thought I think three three goals so far, given the limited game time, is, is reasonable. And I think he's shown glimpses of what a quality striker he is. But I think we've got a long way to go until we start to get the best out of him. There's, there's a couple of important things here. One, I think that's quality in spite of performance. So I think, you know, his quality has shown to the degree that he's scored goals without playing particularly well or without a system that enables him to play to his best. And the, yep. and the second thing is talking about pressing, which you hinted at and we'll come to in more depth later in the pod. But we need to be able to, you know, the, 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 the Zuckerberg goal is such a good example of how you want to best utilize him, where he's in a central area, you have a proper pressing structure around him. It's not just about... Um, possession dominant, possession comfortable or possessional football, you know, possession for control or any of these things. It can just be about pressing a little bit more with a little bit more of an engaged approach from your midfield to support the striker so that the striker can stay more central so that when you turn the ball over, he is in the perfect position to be able to take a shot quickly on the turn or hit the box quickly and receive opportunities. And if you're playing, you know, a low block style and, and countering from deep with, with very little pressure on the ball and, and, and like, like we've always said, dropping very deep and then having to go very long distances from your goal line to the opposition goal mm. line, you know, then you want Antonio, like we said in previous episodes, because if you've got Skamaka at the top end of the pitch in these situations, he hasn't got the physical um, abilities, um, strengths, to be able to drag the ball up the pitch single-handedly and wait for support. Um, so it's a, it's, a bit of a, it's a bit of a concerning situation with those two players right now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, it, it's a kind of... It's, it's going to be very hard to transition one to the other without obvious changes first, I would imagine. And we've talked, we, we, we kind of interpreted it all as a kind of switch to possession football to begin with, didn't we? But are we, are we getting there? Is that actually what's, is that actually what's happening? Are we trying that possession football or have actually we been trying to do something different? I know in Europe, we discussed earlier that we've been trying to get a tighter pressing approach and win turnovers, but it's not really working in the Premier League at the same time. I think that's exactly what we're seeing. I don't think we're seeing it borne out in the data that we're playing a more possessional style of football. I think what we're seeing is, and it's very clearly evidence when there's a quality dis, uh, disparity, which you get in Europe, uh, which is the slightly more engaged pressing approach to win higher turnovers to support those players higher up the pitch. You know, these players are good in possession, but also, you know, someone like Piquetar is a, is a very successful presser. So, you know, in theory, these ideas make sense. Paqueta playing as, as, a, as a number 10 in a high pressing system with a back three that allows your midfield to push a little bit higher mm. with someone like Kera playing on one side of that back three who can also press out of the defense. Zuma also playing in that back three, someone who can press out of the defense. You know, these are all ideas that make a, quite a lot of sense, but haven't really necessarily translated well to the mm. Premier League so far. Um, and part of that issue I think is you know I did a tweet I think yesterday on harsh realizations as well talking about how Kostic and Anana didn't actually come and we really need this international break to review and accept that because we don't have the quality from wing back right now to, to maximize a system like that you know Sufal isn't good enough as a wing back Ben Johnson isn't good enough as a wing back and these are the players who you're going to find free in attack a lot of the time you know the, uh, going back to the Silkeborg game again you have a few crosses where Emerson is arriving in the box that's how uh, you know a wing back system works you get chances created for the other wing back you know the best you could say about Emerson meeting, you know, those opportunities in the box is the ball connected with his head and it went towards the goal. It wasn't really a header on goal. Yeah. And um, and if you look back to to previous iterations of a wing back system with West Ham, you know, Mikel Antonio was someone that played wing back a very long time ago, not very well defensively, but he did meet crosses at the back post and score goals. You need players who can score and create in those positions. If you look at any of the successful wing back playing teams around Europe, you've got wingers converted into wing back positions. Yeah. You've got incredibly talented fullbacks who can go forward and score. Someone like Reese James, who, who who started out as a or, or played very regularly as a midfielder at Wigan before going to Chelsea, who's got the ability to to both create and score from wing back. Ben Chilwell scoring a lot of goals from wing back at that team you know Spurs have signed Ivan Perisic someone who can score goals from wing back Kostic was obviously that idea for mm. us but right now with Emerson Fornals Crestwell Sufal and Johnson as your choices for those positions I'm sorry yeah. there just isn't the, the requisite quality to make a system like that work we don't have any wing backs and um, we look as far as I'm concerned and we look to be playing a system that uh, uh, sometimes looked that system I mean it's, it, it goes farther back in the Premier League isn't it even Victor Moses probably the yeah. best spell of his career was as a wing back, and you wouldn't have picked that maybe even a year before it happened. But you have to have that kind of other side to your game, I guess, that we don't have. But on that, on this, all this, is that there was also 
worth mentioning that there's been really fine margins about the way we play, and that's been in the past as well as now in this tough period, isn't it? I mean, we're not we're not getting the rewards sometimes we deserve. I think there's been a lot of bad luck, Cal. Those, those things are a key part in these tight games. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's the one thing that, uh, at least from my point of view, is at the minute keeping me from even really entertaining the Moyes out brigade that seems to be the movement rather that seems to be starting i think there there are signs there in the data at least that suggest that it should at some point click like we're massively underperforming our xg i think according to expected goals we should have scored at least three more goals uh, in the premier league this season and uh, our expected goals against as well we've conceded one more than we were expected to um also if you look at expected points um we should be ninth in the league um and we're obviously not uh i think we should have amassed eight 8.79 points i think according to soccerman's ex- expected points metric um which on um on form in terms of expected points would have us ahead of manchester united chelsea and fulham in the league who are all obviously currently in the top 10 so whilst we've been underperforming which it, it obviously there are concerns when you do underperform when it starts to become more of a trend but that also suggests that a lot of teams are just have, having a luck that we're not getting in, in that sense, um, overperforming their expected goals, expected points, conceding fewer goals than you would imagine that they should. Um, so I think I'm hopeful that eventually it does start to fall into place as long as we um, overcome some of these more systemic issues that, we, that we've pointed out. Um, but yeah, I think the luck, the luck is a definite factor. And I think like we said in the pre-pod meeting about sort of the fine margins of more pay having Neil more pay that is uh, having a sort of snapshot from outside the box and it goes in and we have a snapshot from outside the box from Ben Rama, which hits the post and goes out. And I think in a lot of games, particularly that forest game, which still haunts me, it, it is just been, we haven't had the luck of the green. Like we, we should have battered forest, but we, it just didn't go our way. And I think that's been something of a trend as well as these more concerning trends. I suppose you, you, you always have to account that Neil Morpay scoring against West Ham, he'll just do things he wouldn't do against other teams. <laughs> Has he ever yeah. scored an overhead kick against anyone else? I think I've seen him score one against West Ham in the 90-something minute. Um, <laughs> but it's it's not just luck as well, is it, Jack? It's these these are kind of parts of almost are inbuilt into our game under Mill, um, Mills, under Moyes. There's always been these kind of fine margins and these things that we do well that can win a tight game or things that we do well that can make it into a tight game when we're not attacking well. And those aren't quite coming off either are they no i think you know uh the the last two examples of performances away at goodison park are pretty good references when you're comparing with with how we played against everton um at the weekend you know the last time two times we've been up there we've won one nil in very tight games that weren't very entertaining to watch um both with late goals one from a corner and one from a late counter-attack i think i think uh, the Suchek goal actually might have been winning the ball high up the pitch it's quite a long time ago so I don't really know how I'm stretching to <laughs> to to remember it but um but I think um a lot of the time when you when with, with Moyes it's certainly the case that you have very tight games away from home and you're looking mm. to, to to win matches off corners set pieces and, and things like that and um, underperformance of our of our XG one of the key areas where we're doing that right now is from corners we've generated quite a high um, amount of XG compared to other teams in the league, but we're still yet to score from a corner in the, in the Premier League, I, I think. Um, and yeah. we, and we haven't really looked like scoring, um, from a corner in the Premier League yet. So it's, you know, these are things that haven't quite, um, been functioning brilliantly so far. I think another thing to factor in, I'm not sure if Cal mentioned it or not, was about, um, disallowed goals and and if and they would also factor into an xg that doesn't look too terrible right now an xg differential that isn't good compared to where we have been previously but would would have us sitting somewhere around 10th in the table if you factor the disallowed goals on top of that we would be more up towards eighth seventh sixth um which is where we've been you know over the course of the last two seasons so there's not um necessarily a a a huge wedge of difference Although, and, and there is there is kind of a, two things, and I'm, I'm probably going to struggle to explain them because it's quite confusing, but um, we didn't play well by our own standards against Everton. It was a poor performance. And that is a concern because the performances can become a trend. And, 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 and if you're not performing well, you're not going to get positive results. Mm. But despite that, 
Everton played really well. West Ham didn't play well. We still won the game on XG. You still, once the players woke up after they scored a goal, we've got massively more XT than them per pass. You know, it's expected threat. Yes. Yeah. So in terms of how threatening each pass was, how much they increased the likelihood of us scoring go- a, a goal. These are all things that, even though West Ham aren't performing particularly well right now and things are a little bit concerning, the quality is clearly there in the team to generate opportunities and to generate opportunities at a higher rate than the opposition do. Yeah, and uh, that is, is, it is kind of worth bearing in mind. It's just not, something's just like kind of working out. And there isn't the kind of worrying trends maybe that we've seen in some um, West Ham collapses. And, and the corner thing as well, and, and that is a kind of a task we're going to give Cal, I think, to, didn't we decide together, Jack, uh, on a future <laughs> pod that Cal gets to look at corner takers and the success of that and the kind of corner routines as well and just to see where there's been, well, what differences and drop-offs there are because actually we still are creating something and we are creating quite well there. So it's obviously not drastically, but certain takers, it does feel like maybe haven't been firing and I've, I feel like as well I've, I've seen more different people taking corners than usual which would probably suggest someone's corners haven't worked one or two times yeah. so we're changing tack which isn't a great thing either yeah I think um, there was one wasn't there against Everton where did Ben Rama even fail to get it in it just hit it rough it just that's, yeah, yeah, yeah that was painful <laughs> yes that was a painful one um, just quickly in terms yeah, of the numbers as well I just thought it's worth noting while we're on the topic of corners that we are still very dependent on set pieces as well. Um, in the context of the league, we have the second highest ratio in terms of set piece to total expected goals, if that makes sense. So yes. 34% of our expected goals are coming from set pieces. Um, I think the highest is Newcastle on 36%. So I think just something that's fairly obvious to us, but also is just kind of evidence that it will and has always been a hallmark of David Moyes' football. He is yeah. he is always looking to get the most out of them. And, and I think the more worrying one is that we have the second lowest expected goals from open play, which obviously links back to the build-up and the lack of progression that we talked about at the start. I think only Bournemouth have a lower open play expected goal return, which uh, is not good company to be keeping. No, uh, <laughs> yeah. We can kind of bring that up I guess in in discussing Moyes later can't we yeah I think just yeah. sorry for just to, to provide a little bit more clarity to what I was trying to say earlier is that you've got that kind of borne out exactly in the Everton game a real lack of quality from open play but we still generated a huge number of set pieces and whilst mm. not playing very well a typical Moisean performance away from home previously would have been to not play particularly brilliantly score from a corner at some point in the game and take control of the match and defend deep deny opportunities yeah. as we did in the game you know their goal came yeah. from a snapshot from outside the box they didn't really create anything that was massively threatening in the match right. you know that would be classic Moyes away from home performance and and result with West Ham especially if you consider I I can I mean there's that Suchek one that's rolled across the box this Bryce heading it back into the middle that it was there um it was there's it's yeah so we can kind of talk about whether actually in in you want to be so reliant on that um we're looking at solutions then and I think we have an agreed solution or type of solution that we think we would take actually not as a group think we've decided to come together we all have the same idea and we're not quite sure that'll be Moise's idea but for us it's a 4-3-3 yeah absolutely I think that's very um clear for for us and certainly has been for 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 me and Cal um doing the podcast with with Analytics United we talk we've talked about a 4-3-3 quite Mm. a lot um it's something that we saw against Nottingham Forest and we saw a much higher uh, well, much better XG generation from open play in that match. Um, yeah. Partly that will be because it's Nottingham Forest, but but also I think the four three three enabled us to play um, a much uh, more fluid um, kind of football, much much improved build up. Um, I think Rice from that sixth position, although you lose a huge amount of his uh, ball carrying ability, which you get when he's freed up to play on, on either side of a pivot, when he's um, in, in that single pivot position, he has got the quality to anticipate pressure and play through that pressure. Um, we have got players who will be very good number eights. You've got Fornals, you've got Lanzini, you've got Paqueta, even Suchek playing at number eight is someone who can threaten the box a lot more, get forward a lot more, uh, remove himself from build up 
a lot more, extricate himself from that phase of the game and play higher up the pitch. Um, you know, I think that clearly provides um, improved opportunities to move the ball forwards and a player that it really helps and a player that is playing really well right now is Saeed Ben Rama. So to maximise someone who is in good form, which there aren't many of them right now, um, you know, the 4-3-3 would certainly do that because it gives him the most amount of space, the most room to cut inside, um, which, you know, is perfect for him and something that we've spoken about, I think, before on this podcast is that when when he plays in the four two three one, all that space is is closed down, and it's very difficult for him because the ten is often, especially with the tens that we have at the football club, moving into that left half space and closing mm. down the space for him to come inside. As soon as he had uh, that improved room to come inside, we actually saw him going to the byline as well, which was our main criticism of Side Ben Rumble before was having uh, a variance of threats on that left side. Mm. Um, so I think yeah, it's quite clear to see that a four three three would improve. Uh, or maximise the abilities of a lot of individuals right now and improve us structurally. I mean, I'd be right in saying as well, I don't know if you think about that, Cal, but Corne also looks like a kind of player who would be really quite, might be quite well suited to playing in a 4-3-3 on that left side. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I think when when we were assessing the transfers that we brought in, not just Corne, but I think Skamaka, Piquetta mm. as well, I think the four-three-three system, I think that's part of the reason we got excited because we saw a really promising performance against Forrest playing that system. Mm. And then we signed a bunch of players who it would appear would, would fit perfectly into it and bring the best out of them. I think Skamaka thrived in that system at Sassuolo. Um, and I think it would allow us to press better as well. I think the press against Forrest was pretty good. And I think pressing is... Uh, at least in the data, something that has stuck out as being pretty terrible so far this season um, and something that definitely needs to be improved on. And I think that could come uh, with a change of shape. I think, yeah, like like Jack said, I think it, the most exciting aspect would be Paqueta in that number eight role and the, the role that he could have in helping us progress the ball up the pitch. Um, and that's something that we spoke about on Analytics United as well, uh, or rather... Alex spoke about who's a Leon fan and expert and generally fond of knowledge. So again, I'll point you back to that if you want to find out more about what Piquet could offer in that shape. Well, that's what I was going to quickly ask Jack because we 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 talk. I, I can now not remember if it was pre or during the pod. Um, we were talking about Paqueta and his performance yesterday of not really looking maybe like he had the instincts or he had the burst pace. I don't know to do those sudden movements and to play where he was in a ten. And there's people were probably have already started asking questions as they do about him, but whether he's suited to the Premier League or not and this kind of thing. But you'd look at that system and think that brings out the best in him. I want him facing the opposition goal rather than facing our own goal. That's yeah. simple as that. That's the, mm. the, the simplest way to, to, to frame this. Uh, when he's playing at number 10, he's always going to be receiving facing our own goal. Um, and then he has to turn to be able to see the forward options ahead of him. Yeah. If he's playing uh, as a number eight, he can receive with his back to the managers or to, you know, to either side of the pitch and then be playing on the half turn so he can immediately spin forwards and see the options ahead of him. Um, you see this with a lot of players really who, who flourish at number eight once, once moved from, from a position that's further forward when time is more constricted and actually, there's a story running parallel to the game, you know, to, to, our, to what's happening with Lucas Paqueta and us in the Everton match with Alex Awobi, someone who really struggled on the left and playing in, in areas further forward where he was always under pressure, receiving back to goal, then moving into a number eight position where the, the player's all ahead of him and actually being able to pick out line-breaking passes constantly, being able to offer something defensively as well, which we can clearly see Lucas Paqueta has. Um, you know, and he was probably the standout player in the match. So there's there's, there's clear instruction there for me in it, as to how we can maximise Paqueta's ability. And also kind of would suit for now as well, who is one who doesn't really, he doesn't, I mean, he gets used on the left a lot. And whilst he's responsible and whilst he drifts in and plays nice passes, he doesn't say have the ability to beat a man. He's not really got pace. And he's also someone who seems quite comfortable looking up and playing those forward passes. So should be able to drop into those positions to help us progress too. Yeah, absolutely. I think he would perform very well in that position. And if you're sitting listening to the pod and thinking, oh, this is a little bit too attacking, Paqueta, Fornells and Declan Rice in the same system, you, you, you can feasibly move Declan Rice to the left of that three and play Flynn Downs in the middle as well. And that makes some sense in terms of the blend of profiles, particularly if you want Rice's carrying ability. But yes, Fornells, someone who's long been talked about, I don't think we really need to say it as, as someone who could thrive in the number eight position. And as you've mentioned, you could use Suchek in those as well. So we do have actually a squad yeah. that would be quite well fit to the system, which I guess is why that initial excitement 
happened with those signings. However, we we don't quite think that's what Moyes will do, do we? If we are trying to read the man's uh, the read the man's mind and kind of guess based on his approach, we're thinking more five four one ish, three four three blend. I think where, where the squad currently lacks confidence, I think it would be a surprise to see Moyes make a positive change in terms of system. I think mm. usually his responses in these situations is to move to a, uh, a more negative, in inverted commas, system, a more low block system, return to the very basics. Um, and that's what we saw before. You know, we had a few, uh, a game against Brighton where we, we performed really poorly. And then we had a run of games after that, Aston Villa, Chelsea, um, Spurs, where we played much more defensive uh, much more low block, much more counter-attacking focus football and performed quite well. I wouldn't be surprised to see that um, be something that we return to again. I think he's quite keen to fit Paqueta into the team somewhere, but if you're going to play a 5-4-1 or a 3-4-3, I think the, your best options are the ones that we saw when the team really thrived uh, a couple of years ago now, which was a front three of four now's Antonio Bowen, uh, who work really well in, in a 3-4-3 it's the perfect blend of profiles really uh, Rice Suchek is a very good midfield in a 3-4-3 because you've got a good blend of industry and progressive ability in terms of Rice in terms of his carrying and then also Suchek being able to make up an auxiliary striker in that system um, and then you've got Emerson who can maybe do a job from left wing back um, and a nice blend of centre backs who can play in there as well but it's that right wing back uh, thing at the moment that is my main concern when you look at that um, system but I do think that's uh, relatively likely in, in a sort of Moissian view. How long has, I guess it feels harsh to say how long has he got, but how long can we allow a slide and poor results until you feel we have to move on and try something different managerially? And that's kind of, that is open opinion for you both. You don't have to try and work on any analytics of your mind, just a feeling almost. I'm definitely going uh, second on this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine. I think the way the fixture list has been borne out, I think there's a re- reasonable spell of four or five games now where I think the expectation should be that we come away with at least a few wins. At least, if not, we should really feel like we should be able to win them all, frankly. Um, not that that's not me saying I expect <laughs> yeah. us to, but I'm saying in terms of the level On a game of opposition, by game basis, you would. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think if we like slump our way through this next period and come out with the same issues that haven't been fixed and fixed and we're still at the bottom, I think questions will then start to be asked because I think at the minute Moyes has a lot of credit in the bank, obviously, mm. and deservedly so because he's come in and stabilised this club and taken us to a level that, I personally didn't think we would ever reach when he arrived uh, for the second time. Um, And I think that earns him time. And I think he also has on his side that we have probably had potentially the hardest start in the Premier League, I think, in terms of the teams we faced. Um, So I think both of those factors buy him time. I don't think, I think calling for his head now is just ridiculous. But I think if we start to get closer to Christmas and and have failed to pick up points in these inverted commas easier matches then I'd potentially start to be concerned because that would speak more of a general malaise in the squad and an inability to rectify long-standing issues that that well what would be long-standing issues by then it it's an interesting season for it isn't it because it doesn't feel like there's a season where there's any space for you to get a hold of something like this especially with us playing these European games and we've talked in the past about how on earth do you transition a new style, transition all these things and focus on playing two opponents in a week? Yeah. Um, but there's also that winter period, the Christmas, so it's the, the World Cup period where there's going to be this big yeah. time off, but half, not maybe not half the squad, but a certain significant number of members of the squad will be gone. I'd imagine most will be going on holiday if the period yeah. allows it as well. Um, do you, at that point, either of you, would you look at that as being your break point? You can't, you can't have the decision to keep him on, but you're not sure and give him two games after the World Cup and then sack it. No, for me, it's the World Cup. You go up to the World Cup, that's when you make your decision. Yeah. Uh, and, and you really, if you, if you decide to keep him and things are still not, not, not perfect at that point, um, then I think you need to try and stick with that for as long as you possibly can, even if it's looking bad. I think that's almost like, let's, let's you know, if it, if it gets to that, let's stay in the league and then mm. reassess in the summer because with how packed it is, it's a bit... Uh, 
scary the prospect really mm. of changing managers in in the middle of of the season with with the pack pitch to list on the other side i think just talking about fixtures and who we've played you know in the last 15 games premier league straddling um last season and this season we've played uh man city twice we played spurs twice we played chelsea twice and we played brighton twice and we played arsenal as well on top of that um so that makes nine of 15 fixtures um mm. which kind of should provide a manager with a little bit of time anyway i know brighton is a bit of a weird one because they're not one of the top teams but we really but struggle against but again for us that's, yeah. a, that's a real issue and we have really struggled against them for a very long time now and and actually just looking at this season alone in the premier league we haven't really had we haven't had a home match against the team that we should beat other than brighton but again brighton yet you know the the home yeah. matches that we have had one was postponed against newcastle we played uh spurs at man city and brighton uh, and and you know there will be an element of you know classic pragmatic very david moy style view your home matches are the ones that you want to win you know we haven't had any of the maybe 15 mm. games that you look at and target and say those are the ones we want to win yet um or, or we've had just one yeah. and lost that match so i think there's there's an element of of, of time inside of that for me i would I, I wouldn't really move until the world cup i would be happy keeping it unless you move now which i think is way too early in this international break then i think you leave it until the world cup and see where we are then and make a decision at that point yeah i don't i i, I i'm in a very weird mid position where i don't really want to sack him but i also i'm always open you know if a manager you think is really really good it gives an inc- uh, an idea that you, you he would actually be open to coming. It'd be hard also to turn down progress. So I don't really know where I feel. And I'm, no one expects me to have an opinion or cares. So it's great. Uh, moving on. <laughs> In terms of that next step and coaches you've been looking at, Cal, this is kind of a great area of expertise for you. And we're going to, mm-hmm. we'll do ones that you think, and then I'll possibly ask, and I will ask about ones that you you think that work within a context of West Ham and our ownership and what we usually do. But if you were looking across the globe, across Europe, you, uh, what, who would you be looking at, say, for next steps for any replacement for it to happen? Yeah, well, uh, I have a very, very, very long list that I always kind of keep tabs on. I think any of you that noticed my boredom in recent weeks will have uh, seen the World Cup of Brighton managers, which was basically me putting my long list out there uh, for the people to see. Um, oh, is that, that's great that because only... it's, where, it's where I learned that lots of people I thought were still playing are actually managers, Fernando yeah. Gago. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and, it, and it's fun because I think this will probably, if things carry on, eventually become an Analytics United article that I'll, I'll write about in much more depth. Um, but I think the three names um, that I think I've settled on are, uh, I'm, tell me, I'm definitely going to pronounce these wrong because I've, don't, don't I've, I've chosen no one with an easily easy to pronounce name. So I pronounced one uh, of our I mean, players correctly earlier and stopped myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think Urs Fischer, the Union Berlin manager, uh, but... I also just really love the Union Berlin project. I think I'd feel a bit harsh taking him away because um, they're currently absolutely flying in the Bundesliga mm. as well. Uh, then I think why? why? But sorry, why? Why? Um, yeah, yeah. I'll, the, okay, I'll go. Yeah, the, <laughs> there we go. It has to be done. Um, I was angling for that one. <laughs> in terms of styles of play, I think he would potentially be uh, the term continuity candidate is seems ridiculous but in terms of what a manager who i think could come in and get something out of the current squad pretty quickly i think he could match up with that i think one of the more interesting things about fisher particularly this season but but over the course of the last few seasons actually only on berlin is that uh unusually for the bundesliga actually um so they're currently top of the bundesliga i believe when i last checked and they have the lowest pressing in the whole league, which obviously the Bundesliga is obviously often thought of. I mean, it was the birthplace of the Gegen Press and uh, total, what is it, something metal football or whatever it was that Klopp yeah. called it, um, and the high press. And uh, comparatively, they still press slightly more aggressively than we do, despite being the lowest pressing team in the Bundesliga. But I think his whole brand of football is built first upon defensive structure, sitting low, soaking up pressure, breaking on the counter. Um, and making the most out of set pieces. 
which really kind of speaks to <laughs> the Moisian <laughs> system. Um, and I think in terms of the personnel that we've got, I think a lot of them would be able to take on a lot of the instructions that he sets with his um, current Union Berlin team. And I think mm. some of the individuals that have, have really shone in that side, um, I think he would potentially have similar players within our squad. I mean, the most obvious one for me, at least, is Antonio. I know that he's getting on a bit and depending on when this move happens, he might not all have all that long with prime Antonio. But he's had the he got the best out of Taiwo Awanyi uh, mm-hmm. last season um, and Jordan Peffer, who they've signed as the replacement uh, from Switzerland, has also taken on a very similar role now as the sort of outlet on this counter-attacking side. Yeah. And I think... Antonio on the Fisher could be really exciting. Um, he does play a, a three at the back system, um, which he's had great success with. Uh, usually a three-five-two, um, which I think would be one of the question marks, but also potentially something that would really excite fans because I know a lot of people have been calling for Antonio Scamacca as a partnership, um, and also potentially Antonio and Bowen could work too in terms of if you want a more mobile pair. Um, and I think that could that could potentially be really exciting. And I think they're there was a manager to bring the best out of Skamaka alongside Antonio, then he could potentially be that guy. Um, so I think, yeah, he'd be top. And I think I just admire him really in terms of, in a similar way to what Moyes has done, actually, he sort of came into Union Berlin and it's very much a project for him. He started out in the second division, won them a historic promotion through the playoffs. They finished third and then beat the relegation candidate in the Bundesliga to come up. Then he, stabilised them as a Bundesliga side, earning them conference league football. Then the following season, they finished fifth. So they finished seventh the year before, then fifth. Mm. So now they're in the Europa League this season. And then this season, they've gone on leaps and bounds again, currently sit top of the table and look a real genuine contender for Champions League football at the end of the season. So I think that sort of commitment to long-term building is something that we've wanted and to a degree have got from Moyes and probably would want in our next managerial candidate as well, rather than a sort of short-term yeah. term gap. So he would probably be my number one candidate. The main question mark is, of course, whether he would actually want to leave Union Berlin if he does get them Champions League football, because like I say, he's built a project there. Project, and yeah, that's definitely. pretty much the pinnacle of that. Like That's the end goal that he probably yeah. didn't even ever imagine that he would get. <laughs> and so to, to carry on um, and see that off, I think he'd be it's silly not to, frankly, and for that reason, I probably don't think he would be that attainable. So, so who, was, who was your number two? Cal, hang on, Cal. Cal, I'm, I'm, I'm yes, just, I'm, I'm just looking at the Bundesliga table, and can you just tell me what in the cheese is going on that Union Berlin have scored 15 goals from 4.7 xG this season? Yeah, yeah, it's ridiculous, isn't it? I was actually thinking about um, writing something from this. It's not that dissimilar to sort of the best version of West Ham we've seen under Moyes, in the sense that he is masterfully carved out this ridiculously efficient and effective counter-attacking style in that his whole personnel are just incredibly capable of not only converting limited chances, but are also they converting low XG chances as well. <laughs> well yeah, exactly. Are they Leicester? <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. The problem is, is that it's hard to tell how sustainable this is. But I think, of course, the history of Union Berlin under Fischer over the last few seasons and the progress they've made every season on season, it does suggest that this was the next step in that trajectory. So I think, and hope, in fact, that it it continues because Lord knows if there's a league out there that needs a bit of competition, it's potentially the Bundesliga. Who was number two then? uh, Number two um, was tricky because... I wasn't sure whether to stay in the Bundesliga or not, but I think I've settled on Frank Heiss. Um, He's the Lons manager. Um, Another manager who has thrived with a three-back system, but rather than two up top, he prefers to play sort of a 3-4-3 or a 5-4-1. And I think, again, uh, the reason I picked him is in terms of the personnel. I think one of my issues with Fischer in the sense that he prefers to have two up top I think the the notion of having a front three would make sense to a lot of West Ham fans because of the form that we've seen Bowen mm. exhibit and and the form of uh, Ben Rama out on the left-hand side as well when we've played without a 10 and the space that he's been afforded. And I think those sorts of players, Cornet as well, and I think Skamak potentially as a focal point up top, um, could all really thrive in that system. Um, and I think 
just into, and he's another one who I think would potentially come in and fix the sort of issues that we're seeing with our press as well. But I thought perhaps most excitingly for me, which is something that I'll just read out a quick quote. So like I say, he's 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 tended to prefer so far a 3-4-3 or a 3-4-1-2. But uh, in an interview that he did, he said he does not have a favourite system. Uh, for some time, he has often played with a 3-4-1-2 or 3-5-2 with the midfielder moving up top. This is one that he uses because it closely matches the squad and the players. For many, many years, he has only played with a back four, for example. Maybe six months or a year from now, I'll switch to another system. Maybe... Maybe in two weeks we'll change the system at half-time in a match. You have to be pragmatic. People expect matches to be won. The ideas uh, are very different to the formation. My principles are not my shape, which I thought That's is a quote. pretty nice quote in terms of capturing sort of the sentiment of fans towards Moyes that seems to be growing, rightly or wrongly, and uh, <laughs> I think perhaps more so wrongly, given that we've played five formations, I think, this season. <laughs> but... A big con- a big complaint with Moyes is his sort of dogmatic approach to his to his pr- yeah. principles. Whereas I think bringing in a manager who recognises the importance of pragmatism and has got a track record of coming in and changing shape to best suit the players at his disposal would suggest that he would be able to weather the sort of storm of, of transition from a- adopting a new squad and sort of teaching out the principles of Moyes, if that makes sense. I, I know I, that Jack is a massive fan. Yeah, so I was about to say, jump in. There's, there's no way I'm going to let this one go without Jack having some sort of comment. I, I just love Lance. I, I, I love um, what, what Hayes has been doing there. I, I, I thoroughly enjoy the project, thoroughly enjoy a lot of the players. Really pleased to see Shek Dekore come into the Premier League. Um, Seko Fafana, another brilliant player. I, I think maybe, you know, Cal's covered it all brilliantly, so I haven't really got a huge amount to say, but I think... Um, I'll just shove in and say, can can he can he bring David Pereira da Costa with him, please? Uh, yes, uh, I, I really think that like would him. Fix, fix a lot of things. Um, he's someone who came up really really well on our shortlister, actually the auto shortlister uh, as a potential left wing candidate. Really exciting young Portuguese left winger. Um, interestingly, I think uh, flicking back to Union Berlin quickly, I think Geraldo Becker, who's really come yeah. into his element this season came out number one as the best alternative in Europe for Mikel Antonio oh. so that's kind of what led me to think okay Urs Fischer Mikel Antonio if you've got another version of Geraldo Becker at West Ham waiting for you you could potentially see how that system would flourish uh, with our current personnel yeah on, on David Costa just briefly like outstanding like someone who what I've basically been looking for with, with the auto shortlisters in terms of the wide positions is, uh, you know, Jesper Lindstrom was someone we came up against last season in the Europa League who's got that combination of pressing ability and then the ability to play incisively when the team wins it back. And mm. I, looking at Moyes, it was never a thing of like, are West Ham going to be able to convert with this squad into a team that's going to, you know, play with 65% of the ball every week or 60% of the ball every week. That's, that's just not going to happen. Yeah. It was, can yeah. we press more effectively higher up the pitch? Can we bring in players who can press really effectively high up the pitch and then play really incisively when they win it back? David Costa currently in the top 3% in league gun for pass completion whilst being a really high volume dribbler. I think he's in the top 2% for dribbles. He's in the top 15% for XG assisted. Um, you know, he's he's able to win the ball back through his own pressures and then take his man on or, or create an opportunity after that. So someone who I'd really like to see come in and someone who might come um, if Hayes was a manager who who arrived at some point. Right, for, third one on the, what I think we could all agree, is somewhat fanciful. Uh, hopeful. <laughs> I, I feel like you're both getting yourself really, really excited for a world that you cannot live in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this was a tricky one. It was a bit of a toss up between two candidates. Um, I was almost going to choose Christian Strike of Freiburg. I think what he's done there has been that nothing short of exceptional, but he has also been there for 11 years. And um, uh, he's another one who I just think potentially there will come a time where he probably does leave. But I think the reason he's had such success is because of what he's built there. And I think I'd be worried about how much of an impact he could have straight from the off. Yeah. He's also another uh, manager who prefers to play a three at the back system. So I thought just for the sake of mixing mixing it up a bit i'd try and choose someone who's flourished um with a fallback and i think he probably is one of the most exciting managers in germany actually if not the most uh, and it's fc Köln's manager stefan baumgart um i think the most interesting thing about Köln, particularly this season that i've seen is that 
they uh, are second to Bayern in terms of pressing intensity. So to be second to Bayern in the Bundesliga, which is like the highest pressing league in in, in Europe, um, is would mark a real, real shift in in terms of style of play. Um, I suppose that also comes with the caveat of potential concern of whether the current West Ham squad could carry out such a high pressing uh, tactic, given that we seem to not be able to press particularly effectively this season. Um, I think we've got the worst PPDA in the league this season. So that is something that really does need to be fixed. Passes per defensive action? Yes, yeah. So I think we're on 20.4 passes, which is the worst in the league. So, um, And that is something that we potentially should break down in more detail because obviously that could be partly tactical. The fault of that could be not just the player's inability to press effectively, but Moyes' difficulty in setting up uh, impressive and clever pressing structures. Um, Potentially something worth unpacking at greater depth at a later date. Um, But I think, yeah, Bangart's another one who's been really impressive in terms of bringing up... uh, He started off at SC Paderborn, um, brought them up through the German... Uh, flights into into the Bundesliga before moving on to Köln, where he's he's also really impressed, um, and yeah, is is doing really well in the league this season so far. Um, he, I think, part of the reason I've potentially chosen him is just because he plays really really interesting football. It's kind of a shape that I've not seen much of. Um, I think I best it's very fluid, but I think I'd probably best describe it as a four one three two, if that makes sense. Um, so if, effectively, it would be. Uh, a, a standard back four, um, and then Rice, in my opinion, in the hole, and then yeah. you'd have three sort of not attacking midfielders, but more advanced than Rice midfielders, but still narrow rather than a four-one-three to four-one-four-two-three-one that we've seen, where you have mm. sort of Benrahma and, and Bowen yeah. out wide. It's kind of more central, and what that allows you to do, along with the two strikers. Is I mean, it makes sense that they'd be able to counter-press really effectively because they've got essentially five players at all times committed to the press in very tight spaces. Um, so they, they kind of manipulate the opposition structure really effectively because they're able to sort of almost, it's a bit of a weird analogy, but if you can imagine like the players as sheepdogs and then herding the sheep around uh, as a team, <laughs> that's kind of what they do. And then they force high turnovers and then have the ability to convert. Um, and I think, again, the sort of excitement of a potential sort of uh, Skamaka Antonio or Antonio Bowen or Skamaka Bowen front two with then the likes of Fornals, Paqueta and I think what would be most interesting potentially for me is whether you could have Suchek committed further up the pitch mm-hmm. where he has less defensive responsibilities and less of an onus to progress the ball from deep but rather occupy dangerous positions in the opposition box and uh, yeah, press and force opposition into into positions on the pitch, um, which I think potentially could bring out his strengths. I think his positional awareness is usually pretty good. He's obviously a danger man in the box. Um, his expected goals return suggests that, and I think particularly in that Forest game when we when we allowed him to to make more uh, late arrivals, he he looked a real a real threat. Um, so I think yeah, that system whilst very intricate and detailed tactically, I think is is really exciting and I think there are the personnel there to do it. Um, I think it would be really fun to see and I think it would really help Paqueta massively. Um, mm. So I think whether he comes to West Ham is a tricky one. I think obviously going to the Premier League from FC Colin is quite a step up and uh, um, not quite a step up, I mean, but as in like it's not a position that I don't think he would leave, if that makes sense. But I also think some of the top, top, top teams will potentially be looking for him uh, when jobs potentially open up. I know that Nagelsmann is coming under a bit of fire at Munich because mm. their form has been pretty poor. Um, and I think given that he is second only to them in terms of their pressing intensity in the Bundesliga and their their effectiveness yeah, uh, in attack is great as well, it would be a good transition for him. So he he could potentially be out of reach before we have that decision to make. I to be honest with you, I spent most of that working out if I can make a can you shepherd players around like that if you're not playing in a farmers league. Um but <laughs> I don't and I don't really mean that. It's just I know the pun that works. Uh, and it was yeah. either that or that'll do pig. Um, um in terms <laughs> of more realistic names, and I was gonna ask you about this in the coaches, but actually it works in the realistic section anyway. What do you think about the growing reputation of Ange Postacoglu? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm a I'm a real, really big fan. I, I like Ange. I think what he's done at Celtic has been really impressive. Um, as with anything, uh, SPL, and I don't mean this to come off mm. as disparaging, but I think Steven Gerrard left the SPL with a really, really impressive reputation and played some really nice football in that league, has come to the Premier League and failed to get his principles across. Um, and Villa struggle. I think Ange is a better manager than... Gerard, I think what he did in Australia was also really impressive. From my point of view, I particularly like his approach to recruitment, uh, which will come as no surprise to anyone um, <laughs> because he is very fond of shopping in undervalued leagues and has brought over some serious talent from Japan, which I think uh, more so than many leagues actually is a, is a league that's often overlooked. Um, and I think he's shown that, that there is talent out there and, and he clearly, along with his recruitment team, has a real eye for for a good player um, and so that would be something I'd be really excited about I think his style of football is really exciting um, obviously possession based but it's difficult to know um, yeah. how that would translate in the Premier League because he has at his disposal currently the best squad yeah. in Scotland um, and I just cons- I mean the performance against St Mirren at the weekend losing 2-0 is a bit of a, a rarity for Celtic so I think there's there's definite concerns but I also think if he continues I think he could potentially be a better option for a team who are higher up in the table and have a better squad so can afford to take that risk because he will already have one of the best squads in the league at his disposal rather than to a struggling West Ham side who have underperforming players and you're asking him to play an expansive, exciting brand of football with a squad that are out of confidence and are underperforming. I think that is a big risk. We will be back in... Two to three weeks, I suggest looking more trends. Obviously, if something really, really big happens, there will be um, there will be a reaction from us more than likely. You two will be keeping on top of everything as ever you usually do for Analytics United. So expect by the sounds of things an article on some very difficult to pronounce managerial names in the next few weeks, um, some corner routines and other things like that. Uh, we'll be back then and hopefully we'll have picked up some points. We can't lose any games in the next two weeks, at the very least, because we'll be internationals. So, you know, <laughs> sil- silver linings, lads. Uh, but until then, <laughs> farewell and goodbye. Right, so we're here in the offices of a late, late show with the host of a late, late show, James Corden. Hi. Big West Ham fan. Yes. <laughs> big knees up Mother Brown, man. Yeah. Yeah, I'm regularly on the general discussion page. There's always someone who's got some information, so I love it, yeah. yeah. It's great. Yes, it's Find excitement them. surrounded by imminent disappointment. <laughs> that's what it that's what it mostly is. Get on the forum at KUMB.com. Come on you irons. <laughs> <laughs>